Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Um, was anyone here last week? Yes. How amazing was last week? Yes. I was virtually here, and it was virtually amazing. My headphones were smoking, dude, my earpods, whatever they were. Thank you, Chris. That was amazing. It was, I mean, it was flat out the best tour of... <sighs> Blue Whitelet was left of my hair back. Thank you. It's good. So this is a really exciting series, right? Like, come on. Man. Um, Good. Let's start with our text. So you got your Bible things? Yep. Got one of those. Um, I think the... I don't know what you guys use here. I think the overhead... It'll appear, I guess, maybe. Um, It's... (laughs) Well, that formatted well. Um... (laughs) So let's do that more often. Um, It's from John 6, uh, verse 22 through 40. That really didn't work. It's hilarious. So I'm just going to go ahead and read it from the NLT, and that's going to be great. Okay. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. A bit like what we did, right? So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied helpfully, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, Oh, yeah, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And they answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. You know, what can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. 
The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I'll raise them up at the last day. So if you were here last week uh, for Chris's talk, you might, you might have noticed that there's a kind of a food theme going on here. Yeah, you got that? So the last, last week was talking about water, right? So there's, and it kind of, you'll be interested, both passages kind of take the same path, right? So there's Jesus involved in both of them. And there's kind of this discussion that starts off with, kind of, you know, talking about some domestic things. Yeah, yeah, bread, water, yeah, yeah, I want that. And then Jesus does this God spin. He takes this everyday thing, like bread or water, he spins it, gives it this incredible significance. And with the woman, it was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And she's kind of like, really? And, and generally a little bit confused, but then, huh, ooh, and goes through sort of general domestic interests through to sort of, um, wow, that's amazing, and then perplexed, and then out the other side, at the end of it, she's just in this joy. She's just joy. And uh, this week, we've got people starting this conversation with Jesus, more people this time, obviously a crowd, and uh, they're, well, they're, they're, they're kind of the same thing. It's like this is bread thing. That sounds good. Bread sounds good. Jesus does the God spin on the bread thing, and it's like, oh, I don't quite get that. Um, but at some point, as Jesus presses into it, they're perplexed status moves to hostile, moves to defensive, and they walk out of this situation actually seeing Jesus more as a someone in opposition to them. So what's going on here? You've got one experience of Jesus giving just incredible, indescribable joy to someone. They, they interact with Jesus like, wow! And then this next experience, there's this growing hostility towards Jesus. So what's going on? Is Jesus changing his tune? Is he just saying, you know, he's, he's saying one thing to one person and one thing to another? Or is it actually something to do with the people that are hearing the tune? There's something about their response to the tune that determines whether they end up with indescribable joy or growing hostility. You know, I spent a couple of years um, in Darwin when I was a kid. And I, year one, um, one recess, I had this um, existential crisis. So it was, 
it was very significant. Um, I was in the playground talking to my friend, and uh, another, another one of these friends came up and he said, you know, um, one of these kids, like I've heard, I, I mean, I haven't seen, but one of these kids, you know, everyone's talking about it. One of these kids has brought back this toy from Singapore. And uh, this toy, listen to me, this toy, it, it can be a plane and then it can become a robot. And I'm looking at my friend. I feel sorry for him at that point. So I'm like, buddy, I feel like it's, it's you know, I've got to set this guy right. Um, that's impossible. Do you understand? I know toys. It's impossible. They're lying to you. So my, my friend looked kind of, I looked in his eyes, he looked kind of relieved, which is good. But then this kind of scrum of these other boys comes towards us, right? And I'm kind of curious, so my friend and I, we kind of muscle into this scrum. And at the center of this scrum is this toy. And it's kind of gray and plastic and, you know, metal and angles and things, and it's a plane. But then the guy that's holding the toy does this kind of sleight of hand, and it becomes a robot. I'm looking at that thing. It's going. Wow. I mean, that was earth shattering, right? It's very hard. I mean, I had, I had been on earth six and a half long years. And I was pretty sure I knew everything there was to know about toys and what they could and could not be. At that moment, I had my grip on ultimate reality thoroughly challenged. my all-knowing confidence took a very significant hit, a healthy hit. And from that day on, I had a, a new passion, one of one of those toys. We are all searching for life. Better formatted slide up here, maybe? I don't know. We're all searching for life. Um, and the vast majority of us are completely convinced that we're looking in all the right places, right? Because, hey, if we weren't looking in the, all the right places, convinced that we were looking in the right places, we'd do something else, right? This slide uh, that you can see, this, this, I, I copied and pasted this off NASA's Exoplanet Exploration webpage. Um, as a human race, we're spending billions trying to find life on other planets. Isn't that exciting? Um, now, the Greeks, in the Greek New Testament, there's a word for that kind of life, and it's called bios. That's the kind of life that we're looking for through our satellites and our telescopes. We're looking for bios. You can see how biology came from that word. We're all searching for life, but we're kind of searching, hopefully, for more than bios, right? We're looking for more than just existing. We're looking for something. We're looking for, shouldn't life be more abundant? Shouldn't it be fuller? Some experience, some state, something... Something full. And the Greeks have, the Greek New Testament has a word for that, and it's called Zoe. And if I'm saying that wrong, Mr. McKenzie, you tell me, okay? You Greek nerd. <laughs> Woo! Am I getting all this wrong? 
totally getting all this wrong. So that's, that's, our, that's kind of our shared condition. We are searching, searching for Zoe. She's great. Um, you know, you can do it in a job. You can do it in a relationship. You can do it in your Insta feed. You can do it in travel. You can do it in sex. That's great. Apparently, many of us are doing it in porn. That's working out for us really well. You can do it in staunch atheism. You can do it in environmental activism. You can do it in being a really good religious person. You can do it in gaming. You can do it in being the best and brightest uh, in worship leading. You can do it, right, Chris? I mean, it's all, you know, all possible. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can do it by, by kind of like trying to determine your identity by all your choices that you make. You can do it in, it maybe, because if you go to New York, maybe it's there, or if you go to Vancouver or maybe Cambodia, maybe life's there. And if you've grown up in a, in, a, in, a, in a Christian home that wasn't so great, and if you've spent too much time in the church around Christians who are just boneheaded, you, you've probably made the conclusion that Zoe is anywhere but here with God. Zoe, that life abundant that we all hunger for, it's got to be somewhere else. Mercy, tell me it's somewhere else. It can't be here. Tell me it's somewhere else. So we're all searching for life, and the vast majority of us are completely convinced that we're looking in the right places, right? Because, hey, if we weren't, we'd go and look somewhere else, do something else. But as I, as I discovered as a six-and-a-half-year-old, six it's really hard when, you're, when your vision of ultimate reality gets punctured by a transformer. It's really hard. And usually we have this thing, we, we, we try to, with our, with our view of life, right, we try to convince the people around us that what, the way we see the world is the right way, right? And it feels good when the people around us go, yeah, that's, that's what I think too. That's a nice feeling. You like that feeling? And it's just very, very hard to get to the point where you go, I've invested all my time, my treasure, my talents into that pursuit, that path to Zoe, and, I, and there's nothing there. Someone come in and say, that's the wrong path. That's a very, very hard thing to hear. Now, unless, of course, you're like the woman at the well, and that's an incredibly liberating thing. But she was in the minority, right? The absolute minority. Most of us, the majority of us, it's the system's kind of working for us. <laughs> you know, every culture, it's a fact that every culture has a system of salvation. Do you know that? Every culture, they lay out the path to salvation, and they show you how to do it. No, no one. I mean, there's no other. You can't go down to the Salvation Bar and where they tell you how to do this. But if you look at the City Morning Herald, whatever you look at, they'll tell you how to find salvation in a kind of subtle way. And that's what we sign up for. We go, okay, that's the path to salvation. Okay, that's what everyone else is doing. Okay. And uh, so we try to kind of emulate what people are doing around us. And at the same time, we have this wrestle because we need to look original, you know? Oh, no, man, I'm not copying you. No, man, I'm charting my own path to Zoe here. Whereas we're kind of sheepish, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but tonight, um, in this text, we hear a, a Palestinian Jewish rabbi say something completely scandalous. It was scandalous when he first said it, and it's scandalous tonight. He says, I am the bread of Zoe. I am the bread of life. Now, we could dive into all the theological implications of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 and the Moses and the, and the divine thing. I'm not going to do that detour. 
I want to I just acknowledge that what Jesus says is pretty plain and pretty main. Like, it's understandable, right? He's saying, I am the bread of life. And I think it's plain enough, and I think it's main enough to be offensive enough to us, enough to us postmoderns to irritate us sufficiently to actually pay attention. So Jesus, you want to pay attention to what he's saying. He's, he's not saying, I am a bread of life. I am one of the breads of life's. He's saying, I am the bread of life, the essence, the essential source of all life. You can't say that anymore. Everyone knows that. Come on, Jesus. You can't say that anymore. How does that claim sit with you tonight? Maybe you're sitting there just beaming with joy. You're like that woman, I I went to the well. (laughs) Yes, sir. Come on. I love him. I found the water. I love this guy. This is awesome. Maybe you're sitting there like that, just beaming. There are a lot of people, this, this room was humming. There are a lot of people loving Jesus here. And you were just beaming, you know, beaming. But maybe, maybe, maybe you, you see things a little bit differently. Maybe you don't want to put your hand up about that. But, um, you know, as, as we read that story, I wonder where you found yourself in that story. Where did you find yourself in that story? Where could you hear your voice and your questions in that story? So maybe this is you. Maybe in response to Jesus's I am the thing, you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. You can be A, you can be one of, but you can't be the. You might be the bread of life for some, but not for everyone. See, you, you don't know my life. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm fine. I've got a great job. I've got a family that loves me. I'm, most of the time, I'm happy. Like, do you know where I go on holidays? Do you know what I earn? Life is good. I've got great memories, and I've got a great future. My life is abundant, okay? So don't come saying this to me that you don't have abundant life. I have abundant life. Look at my life. And you've got a great point. If that's you, you have a great point. It's a really good point. Because you can ignore Jesus, reject Jesus, and go right on living, breathing, working, holidaying, amassing experiences and trophies, hobbies, building your Insta profile, enjoying friends and friends with benefits. You can do all these things. And Jesus probably would reply to you, yes, that's great that you have bios, but you have not zoeed. You go, whoa, come on, man. No, 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 you don't understand because I've skied Banff, okay? And I did my gap year in Costa Rica, and damn it, I learned Japanese as well. And my girlfriend and I, we're serious, okay? We're a thing. And me and my friends, yeah, we've read Kerouac. So don't tell me I haven't Zoe'd. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You can do all these things, but you still will not have lived. How offensive is that to our modern and postmodern minds? How offensive is that? What do you mean I haven't really lived? And don't worry, the, the crowd felt, felt exactly the same. That's <laughs> how the crowd felt. What they wanted from Jesus was free bread, okay? So the day before this conversation, they'd sat and enjoyed a free meal, free all-you-can-eat lunch for 5,000 plus of their closest friends. 
It's fantastic, right? How good was that? Genuine miracle, free lunch. And then they're like, hey, you know what we should do with this guy? We should make him king. Because you know how those other guys, they offer taxes? This guy's the free lunch king. Let's get him to be king. We are set. So it's like, yes, let's make him king. Yeah, you can imagine how Jesus responded to that. And then so Jesus just ducks up off a mountain. And there's, there's this mystery because the disciples left on the boat and Jesus was up the mountain. The crowd's like, and they, how did you get here? And, uh, and, and, and Jesus, and, and they're asking about that. And Jesus is like, I'm not going to talk about that. Sure, I walked on water, but we we're not going to make much of that. Um, Jesus, Jesus knows their motives and he just burrows on down into their motives. And he says, you know, you might have done by us, but you have not done Zoe. That's basically what he's saying. And the difference is massive. We want it because what our culture has taught us is that bios is Zoe. It's just, but Jesus is like, no, that's just existing. I'm talking about full life. And that only comes from one place. And then before you blow a postmodern fuse, I want you to take a moment and think about who you are and what you're for. In another way of putting that, I want you to think about your primary purpose. What's your primary purpose? Take this bottle opener. It does a whole bunch of things. It does percussion. Oh. It holds paper. Hmm? It weighs paper down. Yeah? It spins. It impersonates a robot. And it's kind of charismatic. It does all these things, but what's it actually for? What's it actually for? If you want to know what, what, it, what it's actually for, then you, you probably look at what's on the package, right? And you probably look at how other people use it. And ultimately, the best way to find out what this thing is actually for is to speak to the one who invented it. That's how you find the primary purpose. Now, a human being is, is, is infinitely more complex than a bottle opener. It can clap. It can spin. Chris, you want to spin? It can, it can hold paper. It can learn Japanese. It can zoom up a career path. It can read Kerouac. It can write Kerouac. It can code. It can love. It can hate. It can celebrate. It can grieve. It can build friendships. It can betray. It can do all these things and so, so many more. But what's it actually for? When whoever was creating the human being, what was their primary purpose that they had in mind? Was it to clap, to learn Japanese, to be really serious with the girlfriend? And who ultimately can answer that question? Only the person that made the person, only the one that made people can ultimately answer the ultimate primary purpose question thing. And what Jesus is claiming in our text is that he is that creator. He says, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus continues on. He says, I am the bread of life. 
And then he goes on to speak intimately of this relationship that he has with his father. He goes on to talk about the judgment at the end of the world where he'll raise up people. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not your everyday guy. I'm not even your little prophet that you want to kind of pop up and make king. I'm not even him. I'm man, but I'm more than that. I'm the son of God. That's what he's saying. So you can't, you can't box me. I'm the creator here. As scandalous as that sounds, that's what he's saying. So Jesus is not trying to offend you. He does that, I know, but he's not trying to. He's trying to tell you the truth to release you from the meaninglessness of a bios-only existence. The Creator is saying to you that your primary purpose is relationship with Him. That's what He's saying. Jesus says elsewhere, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Eternal Zoe. That's Zoe. Full, never-ending life is knowing and loving God. So he's basically saying, so yeah, you can do all those things. You can do the Banff and the Kerouac and everything, and you can curate this insanely impressive life before all people, and yet you will not have lived. You'll have stayed a paper-weighing bottle opener, but you'll never have cracked open a blood-red Shiraz at a wedding reception, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah? Okay, someone loves Shiraz here. Jeremy loves Shiraz, that's good, man. Um, So let's stop there for a moment and think about this claim, right? It's a very large and potentially earth-shattering claim, right? So why should you believe what Jesus has to say about any of this? I mean, he's, he's out there basically blowing up everything, right? He's saying there is a toy that can be both robot and plane. I mean, you don't do that to a young mind. Well, Lewis has this thing, right? He says that he was, C.S. Lewis was this staunch atheist, right? And, uh, and then he became a Christian. And he said, well, you know, you've got the kind of three options with this Jesus guy. You can say he's a lunatic. Uh, but, and you go, well, Jesus, after this passage, says that you should eat my, ble- eat, my bre- eat my body and drink my blood. So he does sound kind of loopy. So maybe that's a good option. Maybe keep that one in the back pocket. But then you look at the rest of his teaching and you realize that the, the, the Western civilization has been founded upon the profound truths that Jesus kind of spouted out. So mm, lunatic, foundation of Western civilization. I don't know. It's not really sitting with me. So you go, well, maybe he's a liar. Maybe he was, a, maybe he was just a liar. Maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe he's just lying. Okay, so liars, they, they basically lie to their advantage, right? That's what they do. They use lying to get what they want, right? So do you see Jesus changing his tune depending on how the audience is responding to him? And then think, think a little bit harder about the situation where, okay, if you're a liar, this is when you're going to lie. You would lie if, you were, if your life was under threat, right? If you were on death row and you could get off death row, would you lie? Jesus ended up on death row, didn't he? And Jesus was questioned. And he was given ample opportunity to lie. Because the thing that was getting him in trouble had to do with this whole God thing. If he just skipped on the God thing and just stuck to some sort of party line, he could have totally detoured around that execution thing. But he didn't. He stuck at it. But what does that actually tell us? So great. He was sentenced to death. Okay. But that doesn't, but maybe he was just delusional. <laughs> maybe he was just completely internally convinced of what he was about. So he was a total idiot. And, and great. So you didn't lie because you, you were convinced it was true. 
and so they killed you. There's no reason I should listen to you. The problem is, if you think that's a safe conclusion, the problem is he didn't stay dead. That's the problem with that little version. He didn't stay dead. I don't know if that's news to you, but he didn't stay dead. I say that's a problem because maybe for tonight, uh, you've seen Jesus as like an interesting guru, uh, a moral example, someone who's kind of, you can incorporate into your Insta feed like Oprah Winfrey or Aristotle. And he's kind of interesting. Maybe you've seen him like that. Comfortable, curious, and dead. But Jesus didn't say dead. Now what's interesting about when you're dead is you can't bring yourself back from the dead. Don't know if you've tried. You haven't. No one can. You're dead. Which means that someone has to raise you up. Which means that someone needs to decide that you're worthy of resurrection. And um, in Jewish law, there are th- there are these, there's this principle that anything that happens should be established like it, by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Every matter. Witnesses verify if someone is telling the truth. That's how, the, how courts work, right? And that's how courts have always worked. So Jesus has this claim that he, he's claimed that he came from heaven. And how do you get testimony about that? It's like, who was there to testify that he came from heaven? Funny you should ask. Listen to what Romans 1 says. Romans 1, 4 says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So God, by his spirit, resurrected Jesus. And in doing so, God the Father and God the Spirit testified to the truth of what Jesus said about himself. Jesus' resurrection by God declared Jesus to be the Son of God. Jesus was entirely vindicated in his claims. He got the two witnesses, the Father and the, and the Spirit, are like, that's our boy. We're going to raise him up. He is telling you the truth. That's what the resurrection means. So Jesus will never lie to you. He won't. He won't lie when it's convenient. We know that. He won't lie at pain of death. He simply will not lie. Indeed, he cannot. Jesus tells us that, John tells us that Jesus is the truth, that he's, that's his unshakable, brilliant identity. He's the truth. He can't lie to you. So who is Jesus? Who is this one who declares so boldly his centrality to all of, the, all of the universe and your life? Who is this one who unapologetically declares that he is the one that you need to receive to find Zoe? That he is the one that all humanity has been searching for? Who says that? How can a Palestinian Jew, a carpenter, born into poverty, a refugee from the western suburbs, be the desirable nations. How is that possible? Surely that's impossible. Surely he's a lunatic. Surely he's a liar. But if he isn't, that leaves us with one possibility, Lewis concluded, that he's actually Lord and that everything that he says about himself is completely reliable. In other words, he is God come to us in human form. Could that be true? And if it were, what would that mean for you and me? What would it mean? Lewis says, Christianity is false if false is of no importance, and if true, of of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. 
We're all searching for life. And Jesus is telling us tonight, telling us straight, there's no life out there. It's only in me. And to our postmodern minds, that is incredibly offensive. But here's a question. What would be more offensive? Would you prefer it that Jesus lie to you and in the end discover that that was actually not the case, that he was only the way to life? Or would you prefer if he shot it to you straight now? What would you prefer? Jesus speaks the truth in love, but the crowd didn't want to hear it and lots of people don't want to hear it. They wanted free, bear, free bread and a puppet king. They wanted the gift without the giver. And that's what most of us want. Just give us the good stuff, God, and get away. <laughs> but when Jesus declared that he's the bread of life, he declared that the gift is the giver. The gift is the giver. You can't separate the two. And maybe for you, maybe for, for you tonight, you're realizing that you want a fresh start. Maybe. You're realizing that you've been arrogant and stupid like I was with regards to my little transformer friends. And maybe you've dug your heels in in the past and just gone, ah, God's wrong. God's wrong and I am an atheist or whatever it is or I'm just a practical agnostic and I don't really need to worry about it. But maybe you're tonight going, oh, maybe I need to rethink that. Maybe I need to shift a little bit from my fixed position. Maybe I could begin to move toward God. Maybe even come home. The good news is that that's why Jesus came. He didn't come for people who had it all figured out with God. He came for the lost, the rebels, the angry, the discontent, the thirsty, the broken, the outsiders, and the outcasts. That's who he came for. And though all creation was set against him, he chose to love his enemies. And on the cross, at the hands of his creatures, this is the creator being crucified by his creatures, he says to his father, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing because they have no idea who I am. So God forgave us. And he extended the bread of life to us as a peace offering. Because bread was shared at a table and it was a sign of intimate fellowship. And so when Jesus was declaring himself the bread of life, he was declaring his essence and he was declaring, I am God's intimate offer of fellowship to you. That's who I am. His invitation was simply to come and eat. Let's sit. Let's, let's, let's do this eye-to-eye -eye thing. Let's you and me be. <laughs> me, your Lord, your Savior. Let's us be. Because Banff gets old, you master Japanese, and then what? You rise to CEO, and then? You pay your home off, and then? <laughs> Climb the seven highest peaks of the seven continents, and then? Then what? Jim Carrey says, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Thank you, Jim Carrey. And... And for all the other movies too, Jim. It's been great. <laughs> Can we do the other slide? There's a slide after this one, so that's good. Yeah, that's it. All right. All these things will 
fade and rust and ultimately leave you dissatisfied. Jesus says that the life is in the relationship with God. And beyond this grave, beyond your grave is a new creation that is eternal. That's what he's got in store for you. When Jesus, what Jesus says about himself is scandalous. Scandalous because of its abrupt honesty and scandalous because of the world-defying hope it breeds. See, the thing is, everyone's looking for life and Jesus says, you, you can find it. He's like, he's like saying, call off the search party. I'm over here. Call it off. Stop the running. Augustine, who spent his time philosophizing and fraternizing and doing all the things that good North, North African Roman traveling people did in the you know, fourth century, at the end of these things, he said, God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Call off the search party. The good news is you can find life. Now, I got to say, and I, I got to say, that is hugely troubling. Do you understand how troubling that is? Because do you know your heart? Do you know your heart? Do you know the void in your heart? Do you know how big that is? Have you felt the weight of the void in your heart? Do you know how desperate we are as a culture and as a people to fill that void? Do you know what I personally am stuffing my heart with to try to fill it? Do you understand the hunger of the human heart? Understand how terrifying that hunger is? Have you, have you come face to face with that? Amen? Do I get an amen? Oh, good. Well, uh, yeah. Okay, that's all right. But have you felt that? Do you know what that's doing to our society, to our marriages? Do you know what it's doing? It's tearing us apart on a world stage. It's tearing us apart, the hunger of the human heart. It's grievous hunger. We will do anything to just feed this ravacious thing. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I can fill that bad boy. And only me. Call the search off. Let it go. I just want to, I can see that on some, some of you guys. I, want, I just want to see the Holy Spirit. I can see the Holy Spirit moving on some of you guys. Like, let it go. Let the search go. Call it off. Come home. He's here. He's not asking you to climb mountains. Oh, how high would I climb mountains? Yeah. He's not asking you to do that. Come home. Because it doesn't really matter. You don't have to go, oh, I'm a card-carrying Christian, or I, I hate Christians. It doesn't really matter. We all need life. And I tell you, we all, all need life. Desperate for life. More life. You know your hunger. You know that void. You alone know what you're trying to fill it up with. How hard you've been working. And Jesus is like, I see it and I love you. I just want you to bring it to me. Just want you to bring it to me. Because the kingdom of God, the way it works, is Jesus says, Blessed are you if you hunger and thirst. 
The filled, well, they're not so blessed in the kingdom because they ain't going to get in on it. But if you're hungry, if you can confess your hunger, as scary as that is, the kingdom banquet is before you. Right now. Come on. Let's do this thing. Let's stand. It's a big void. I want to just invite you to start naming, if you can, if you can. Maybe you've never talked to Jesus before. I don't know. Maybe you're like, okay, this sounds great. How do I get in on the life? (laughs) Great idea. Like that. How do I do it? Well, can you eat? Anyone eat? Awesome. That's great. So it's, it's as simple as that. You get the food, you put it in. <laughs> and so you just receive, receive Jesus. So you say, Jesus, I've been chasing after all these other food. I've been trying to stuff this heart with stuff, and it don't work. I've been living in bios, and I want Zoe. Could I have that tonight, Jesus? And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Receive me, you receive Zoe. So that's it. You can just pray that in your heart. And if you pray that in your heart, um, talk to Chris or Jen or afterwards. I'm sure they'd love to pray with you. And um, that'd be, be a great place to start. So let's, I'm just going to pray for those people here and then we'll move on. So Father, we want to thank you that you're here by your spirit. We just love that. <laughs> we love that you speak truth. God, we just so long for truth. Oh, <gasps> Like, like people in the desert with no water, we long for truth. God, and uh, thank you that you came. Didn't ask us to go up, you came down. And uh, you say, here I am. Come home, call off the search, come home. And so I just want to pray for my brothers and my sisters, God, who tonight are just, I, I, yeah, I want to take that step forward. I actually want to, I want to get in on this life. So let's just so if you if that's for you, just pray this prayer with me. God, I've been searching everywhere but you. And I want to stop the search. This is hard, but I'm done with that old way of living. And I want to meet you on your terms, not like a puppet God, like a puppet king. I want to meet you on your terms. I welcome you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Now you just go, and then you show, now come fill me with your life, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if that's you, that's good. And uh, Father's others here. So just that, if you've got that void, you know, many of us have been walking with Jesus for a long time, and you go, yeah, I've heard this bread of life thing before. <laughs> I got that. But I ain't got that. I'm actually just tired. And I feel like that void's actually growing and not going down. So is this thing broken or is there something broken with me? (laughs) And I just want to invite you to step away from that mind game and step towards Jesus with your heart and just bring your heart to him again. So we can pray for that too.